Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you this morning that we can open your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it is sustenance for us. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we look to feast upon your word this morning. Let us consume it and let it change us within. Grow us up to maturity that we may thrive and flourish as believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would be blessed and glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I have, uh, in my former life, my business experience with Levi Strauss, I made several trips to New York City. Um, And it's amazing, the only thing I ever went sightseeing was to the Empire State Building. Um, Gala had brought the boys on a couple of occasions and they went to the Museum of Modern Art and saw all these things that are to see in New York City. One of the regrets I have is I, I never made it to Ellis Island. Uh, to see the Statue of Liberty. It is quite a sight to see, and I wish we, I would have done that. Um, there in the, the museum for the Statue of Liberty, there is a, a bronze piece, a, a poem that was written by Emma Lazarus. And I just want to read that uh, as we look to this text this morning where we're going to be talking about the household of God. Um, it says this, the new Colossus. Uh, now, the Colossus was a, one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a Greek statue that was uh, kept in Rome, Rhodes, no longer exists. But this new Colossus, the Statue of Liberty, it says this, Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates, shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lighting and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she, with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That light of welcome has been in this country for centuries now. Uh, And it is a welcome, but we have a greater welcome. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ that we hold out to a world of the tired and the poor and the huddled masses. Last week I brought a message to you, Alive in Christ, and it was the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2, and it ends with a statement that we are His workmanship. We are the work of the artistry of God. And we are meant and created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should ask the question, what are those works? Well, like C.S. Lewis would say, we want to go further up and further in. And that's what these verses, 11 through 22, do. They take us further up 
and further in, it is a parallel of what has taken place, what we read last week, the first 10 verses and the last 12 verses. Both will have a, a moment of reflection to look back and, and remember. And then both have those great statements, but God and but now in Christ Jesus. And then it tells us about who we are. We were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all because of His grace. But now we're going to see how we are to live. And so within the household of God, we are a, we have a new identity. We, we are a new humanity. We are a new society. We are the household of God. And so those are the three points that I want to look at. This passage, again, parallels what we're doing in 1 Timothy. Hopefully, Lord willing, uh, Jake will be back and get into 1 Timothy again next week. That letter to Timothy was the second letter. Ephesians was the first to that church in Ephesus. And so when we look at 1 Timothy and we look at the purpose of that particular letter is Paul says, if I'm delayed, I want you to know, Timothy, how one ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. And he is restoring and putting into order the household of God. The beauty of this passage is Paul already told the Ephesians, this is who you are. You need to remember who you were, who you are now in Christ, the new identity. You need to see that you're a new humanity. Everything that kept you separated from God and others, the hostility that is there, is all done away with. And now you're a new society. You live as the family of God. And that should set you apart from the rest of the world. So we're going to talk about new identity, new humanity, and new society. So to begin, the new identity. We are given one. What are we to do first? Paul says, remember. In our text, he actually says it twice. To put forth that this is important that you remember who you once were, you Gentiles in the flesh. And we talked a lot about last week who we once were, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. But he takes this up further, further up and further in. He says, you Gentiles need to understand, you had a five-fold alienation, a separation. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. Five alienations that they experienced. The first being separated from Christ. How were they separated from Christ? Well, the promises that are given in the Old Testament to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob that was passed on down the line was for a people that he called out, Abraham, Ur of Chaldees, and to his offspring. And so those people had promises from God. And as the Word of God was revealed more fully and fully and fuller, they learned of a Messiah that was to come. The Greek word for that is Christ. So the promise of a Messiah to come, a Christ to come, was made to the Jewish people. It wasn't made to Gentiles. They didn't even know that there was a Christ to come. Listen, there are two 
great structures at this time of the writing of Paul. There was Herod's temple in Jerusalem, and there was right there in Ephesus, the temple of Artemis or Diana, one of the seven wonders of the world. These are massive structures, and both drew a great number of people, people from all over the world. Jews would come for the three feasts during the year from, that were scattered abroad from the exile, and they would come in. So they kind of had a little bit of every nation, tribe, and tongue. But this temple to Artemis there in Ephesus, the same thing. There were so many pagan gods, but this one was a great one. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians that we hear from the book of Acts. And so it drew people from all over. But it was Christless. Both were Christless. And so Paul is wanting these Gentiles to remember that they were without Christ. And then he goes to the second point and he talks about that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Israel was taken out of Egypt And when you read through the Old Testament, if you're reading through your Bibles, you've probably already gotten through um, Exodus, Leviticus, and you're into Numbers and the wanderings and everything else that takes place. But when you see how they were taken out of Egypt, they became a community with the tabernacle at the center. And everyone was living around God. He dwelt within them. The Shekinah glory was there. And there was a community. They were all of the same family. Their tribes all go back to Jacob, to Israel. So they had this commonwealth. They had a people that they belonged to. Gentiles were alienated from that. Listen, I, when I was growing up, I was born in Stockton, California. And from the moment that I was born until Gail and I were married years later, moved 12 times, 12 times. People thought I was like an army brat or something because we'd go and, but you'd go to a place and you wouldn't know anyone. You, you, school was new and there was insiders. You were an outsider. You, you didn't know the lay of the land. You didn't know directions. What were the main streets? All those things. You were outside this commonwealth of the new city that you were in. And it could be very uncomfortable. And we didn't stay places long enough. The longest we ever stayed anywhere when I was growing up until Gail and I got married was three and a half years. We moved that frequent. And so every new city was the same thing over again. I'm on the outside looking in. We have many people within this auditorium here this morning that are from other countries. You come to a place and you don't share the language. Everything's new. You have to get used to colloquialisms and, and so on and the way we speak and talk and everything and the food. All that is different. And sometimes you can feel like you're on the outside looking in. You feel alienated. This is one of the things that Paul wants them to remember. Because the bad news leads to the good news. They were also strangers of that covenant, covenants of promise. Now this is interesting because covenants is plural and promise is singular. And so in this, he's trying to make a point. All the covenants that are made with Abraham, even before that with with Adam in the garden, with Noah, 
all these covenants had a particular promise that they pointed to. And that promise again is Jesus Christ. And so they didn't have those. And when you don't have any promises, when you don't have anything to look forward to, there's no hope. There's no hope. How many of us get into situations in life where we feel like everything is pressing in on us? It could be because of illness. It could be family members that are rebellious or you name the particular distress that you have in your life. And if you don't know Christ, you feel hopeless. That is the great news of the Gospel is it is full of hope. Hope for what Christ has already done and what it means to you and then hope that He will come again. So, they didn't have hope. And then finally, with being on the outside of this commonwealth, being strangers to the covenant, without hope, they were without God. And it's interesting, the word that's used there is atheos. Sounds like atheist, doesn't it? In other words, these, these Gentiles were godless. It wasn't like atheists today when we use the term that they just don't believe in God. They didn't have Him. They didn't know Him. They're without Him. They're atheos. So this five-fold alienation that takes place, William Hendricks summarizes it and puts it this way, that they were Christless, that they were stateless, that they were friendless, hopeless, and godless. That can be pretty depressing. But what is there to look forward to? So then Paul says, remember this. Now remembering is something important for us as believers to do. Throughout all of Scripture, there's been remembrance and memorials. When Joshua led the people of Israel across the Jordan into the Promised Land, and the waters of the Jordan were stopped up. God's hand made them walk across on dry land again, just like the Red Sea. And he told one member of every tribe to pick up a stone and to take it to the other side. And then they made a pile of stones. And he said, this is a memorial for you so that when your children ask, that you tell them what God has done. In other words, that remembrance is to point you to the gospel. It is to be a representation that leads to the drama of the gospel. And so remembering, when we do this, we're not looking to self-afflict ourselves. Um, we are looking to remember what we once were so that we appreciate all the more the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul gets to at this point. He has said, remember, this fivefold alienation. And then just like earlier in the text where it said, but God, now it is, but now in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is now the one who will be the reconciler. You will no longer be alienated. He says, Paul says, he says, you were far off but you were brought near 
by the blood of Christ. They are reconciled to Him by the blood of Christ. And this is speaking about union with Christ. And that becomes an important concept, this union of Christ. The blood of Christ doesn't simply cleanse us and forgive us of our sins. It's much more than that. Christ's blood flows through us. Not literally, spiritually speaking. Because we have life in Christ. There is life in the blood. Particularly the blood of Christ. So when we're united with Him, everything that He has, everything that He is, we learned last week, we have in Him. We are raised with Him. We are seated with Him. All that is in Christ, we now share through this union with Him. And so His blood flows through us. It means that we are beneficiaries not only of His death, but of His life. And that's a beautiful thing. This is our new identity. It is in Him. Our identity is no longer based on our physical birth. It's no longer our heritage, our ethnicity, our nationality. None of those things. Even our sin can't spoil our identity that we have in Christ. We are now His workmanship. We are renewed. We are transformed. We are reborn. I am a Christian. Shortly after September 11th of 2001, the Ad Council put together a commercial. It was a minute long. All the people on the commercial said is, I am an American. You can Google it. You can look it up. It's quite moving. There are some of every nation and tribe and tongue in that commercial saying, I am an American. The idea of this ad was to get the people of America to unite with one another. And it accomplished the task. You look at those years after 9-11, the nation was unified. And so Paul is wanting us to identify ourselves with Christ. I am a Christian. And that unity is to do this work that we're to do. To become mature disciples and to make disciples. And we do that in union. We can't do it as a lone ranger. We, we can't go one way over here and one way over here and another way over here. We are to follow Christ together. And we are to be built up in the faith. So our identity is in Christ. And that identity in Christ comes through Him. Through the peace that He is and makes with God. Creating, the second point, a new humanity. We have a new identity. We're reconciled to Christ through His blood. Now we learn that we are a new humanity. When Paul was writing this, there was only two types of people in the world. There were Jews and there was Gentiles. That was it. But the hostility between the two was so incredibly great. They hated each other. I mean, we think about racism now and hate and everything. It's, it, it pales in comparison. Gentiles and Jews 
their dislike was so great. A Jew could not help a Gentile woman in labor. Why? Because that brought another Gentile into the world, another Gentile dog into the world. Gentiles hated Jews. They felt like they should be pieces to put, be thrown in the fires of hell. This animosity never ceased. It kept going and going. And so they had no love for one another. They were at enmity with one another. But Christ comes on the scene. This text says that Jesus is our peace. That Jesus makes peace. That Jesus preached peace to those who are near and those who are far away. And so Jesus comes on the scene and and what He has to do is He has to take and remove this hostility. First, the hostility that is between God and man. That's the first one that he, He addresses. And through Him Himself being the sacrifice through Himself being slain, His death kills the hostility that is between God and man. It puts it away. It removes it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is not on you. Not like we looked at last week where we are all children of wrath. That's done away with. That hostility is gone. But there is also a hostility between men, mankind, Jew and Gentile. So the slain also becomes the slayer. So when we're reconciled back because of His death, He also puts to death in each one of us a hostility towards others. Once we receive the blood of Christ, once we are forgiven, once we understand and come to know the grace of God, the mercy of God, there is such great thanksgiving for Him for what He's done for us that we begin to look at the world differently. David Powlison has a book Seeing Through New Eyes. Seeing Through the Eyes of Christ. The better we know the Scriptures the more we come to know Jesus Christ the more we'll look at people differently. So if you look around in this room there are people that are different than you. And I know I'm stating the obvious. But do you go out of your way to get to know those who are different than you? Do you you think in these terms that when it comes to the body of Christ made up of every nation and tribe and tongue that everything, everyone is bringing something to the table? I recounted this last week a mission trip that Gail and I went on years ago in the late 90s. We went to Jamaica. We didn't know the people there. We're outside looking in. We were doing ministry there. We were invited to the home of a pastor that lived there, he and his wife. And I recall them having two daughters. They wanted to extend Christian hospitality to us And so the team went to their home. And we go to their home, there's no electricity. There's no running water. They had a pump in the kitchen to pump water. This is 1996-97. Their bathroom was an outhouse out behind the house. 
And yet they took what little that they had to make a cake and to make us a meal. To show the love of Christ for others. My wife and I got on that plane to head back and it really made us reflect on who we were and who who they were. They didn't care about things. Cell phones had just come out. We had those. It wasn't long before they came out, we had one. What I'm trying to make a point here is that people who are not like us can show us a whole nother perspective of who Jesus is. Jesus isn't a white Caucasian. Now, I don't know what he looks like and what he is. I'm just telling you, in that part of the country, that's not what they look like. Jesus is the head of the church. Some of every nation, tribe, and tongue. We can learn from one another. I praise God when I watch communion each and every week. And the streams of people coming down the aisle. It's a picture of what heaven's going to look like. Every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And what Paul says here in this letter, Jesus puts this into action. I'm making a new humanity. The Jew and Gentile that hate each other, that are at enmity with one another, I'm going to do away with the hostility between God and man. I'm going to do away with the hostility between you and others. You will now love others because I am making one new man. Not out of the two. Christosphorum, the preacher from early centuries, put it this way. He said it's like taking a statue of silver and a statue of lead, throwing them into the furnace and pulling out a statue of gold. This isn't isn't like a 50-50. This isn't a mixture. It is one new, purified, forgiven humanity. That's what you are, believer. Isn't that incredible? Perfected in Christ Jesus. You are a new humanity. He has broken down the walls. What we deal with in this world today, there are opposing worldviews to Christianity. But what we have to offer is forgiveness, hope, eternal life. The world doesn't view it that way. The world is even polarized. There's two different worldviews within the secular world. John Lennon wrote a song, Imagine, years ago. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you tried. No religion. There's some people that think that the way to have world peace is to push a religion out. There's others more recent that think, no, the way to have peace is to make all religions blended together. I was reading Brian Chapel this week. There, there's, there's a textbook that's used in public schools. And it is, I don't have it in my notes here, across countries, something like that. And in that book that students are supposed to read, now I have nothing against Muslims and nothing against Islam, But it uses this example. Pretend that you're living in 635 A.D. And that you're Muslim. And that you are going to war with Syria. 
Now, how does that make you feel? How do you walk in their shoes? And it teaches that Islam believes in one God, Allah. And then it folds in, well, just like one God for Judaism, just like one God for Christianity. And so it pushes it all together. So what you get is the coexist bumper sticker with the sliver moon representing Islam, with the, the star of David representing Judaism and the cross for Christianity. And can't we all just get along? Brothers and sisters, we have to tell the truth in love that there is only one way to eternal life. And that is through the one mediator that we learn from 1 Timothy. The one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That is the only way one humanity comes together. That's the only way one humanity can have peace. Kent Hughes talks about this idea of one humanity. It's um, that they are spiritually not naturalized, but supernaturalized. They are citizens of heaven, which leads us to the new society. The last point. These new citizens are citizens that share a common people. Christians. We have a common language. The Gospel. We have a common heritage in that we now have a community of faith with fellow believers. We have a common goal to glorify God. And we have a common destination to live with God Himself through all eternity. This first idea of the new society is that of citizenry. People that come to the the U.S. have to have a green card. I was listening to Sinclair Ferguson who is not a U.S. citizen. He's from Scotland. And he said in here, when you have a green card, you have taxation without representation. He says, when you become a citizen, you have taxation with representation. But then he says this, believer, when you come to Christ, you have representation with no taxation. (laughs) He has paid the debt in full. There's nothing that you owe. You are a citizen of the heavenly city, the city that is to come. But we go further up and further in. Not only we a new citizen, we have new citizenship. We have a new family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And I want to challenge each and every one of us to think about what it means to be family. I think about my own family. And there are things that we do as a family. You know, we can take plates in and we can sit in front of the TV and sit on the floor and we can eat a meal. We can wear what a good dear friend of mine says is soft clothing, <laughs> lounge pants, jammy pants, whatever you want to say. Your old ripped t-shirt. You don't have to shave. Women don't have to put on makeup. You can be who you are. We had Noel Sane come a couple of years ago from Virginia to stay with us. 
Her parents were desperately looking for a place for their daughter to do an internship here. And we got an email. They went to an OPC church there and they couldn't find any here. And so they started and the next best thing in their minds was a PCA church. I personally think the PC-8 is better than the OPC, but, but I get an email, and it's from Deb Sane, Noel's mother. said, hey, my husband Doug and I, we know this is kind of a, a wild ask, but our daughter's going to do an internship over the summer. Uh, is there someone in your church that might be able to take her in? She didn't ask us. Gail and I, I show the email to Gayla. We read it and we go, um, I think that's us. So we let her know. So they come to drop Noel off. Said, Noel, it's real easy here. There's one rule. Be yourself. Help yourself. Our house is your house. Our things are your things. You get hungry, go to the fridge. It's all open to you. It was like we had a rent-a-daughter that summer. Listen, and here's where I'm going with this, okay? As the family of God, how many people in this room are you comfortable to be yourself with? How many would you take a vacation with? How many would you just let take off your mask and be who you are? We've got to go further up and further in, brothers and sisters, to the people in this room. Some from every nation, tribe, and tongue. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. We should do life together. We're not aliens. We have families in the church here that have adopted children. And I look at those children. Okay, I'm going to name names. I look at Kate and I go, Kate's a basil. She's part of that family. Doesn't even cross my mind. I look at Mohan and I look at Lila. They're Parmars. They can't be anything else. Brothers and sisters, I am a Christian. You're a Christian. We are members of the same household of God. We need to act more like it. The final thing that he talks about in this new society. So we have a new citizenship and we have a new family but we have a new home. We are a new home. In First Timothy, I talked about this. There's a word oikos in the Greek. It means household. In, in this passage here, in the verses 19 through 22, that root word is used five times. When it's talking about the building, the structure, and all of that, it's household. This is God's household. So not only are you a citizen, you get to come into God's kingdom, His country. You become adopted and a member of His family. Now He opens up the doors of His home and He says, come on in. Come on in. Be who you are in Christ. And there is a security around that. There is a safety. There is a peace that we are part of the household of God. But there's also a purpose. There's a purpose to this. That this household that is supposed to be a collection of us being built together on two things. The foundation 
and the cornerstone. The foundation being the word of God, the apostles and the prophets. And the, found, the cornerstone being Jesus Christ himself. The cornerstone is put literally in the corner. And then the walls go off from there. And I want you to see this. You can think of one wall is Jews and one wall is, is Greeks, Gentiles. But they're attached together in Christ and then they're being built up together into a structure, a holy temple where God dwells and where He is worshipped. The worship of the people of God is what we live for in this life. To be lights to those who are around us. To be like the lady in the harbor holding the torch. We set out a gospel beam by being the people of God. Sinclair Ferguson says we don't have a good concept of this church being built together as one. We, we kind of understand things like, oh, I have received Jesus. I'm going to have this little cottage just for me. Maybe it's a mountain home or something like that. And then, and then we start to go, God, why are you knocking me around a little bit? Why do you have the hammer and chisel out? It's just kind of painful. And Sinclair says it's, it's because what God is really doing is forming and fashioning you as a living stone to be in the bigger temple, which is the body of Christ. To be together. To worship Him. To love one another. That's what He's doing. And that's what people need to see. Do you know the number one question for young people now? Who am I? Who am I? And they're searching if we are the church, if we're citizens of heaven, if we're the family of God, if we are His body, His temple, worshiping Him, and they see the life, the vitality, the love for one another, they'll come. They'll come. So Christian, remember, you're no longer alienated. You have a new identity. You are a new humanity. You are citizens of heaven. You're beloved members of one family. You are the household of God. We have so much more than the Statue of Liberty. We have a Savior of Liberty, Jesus Christ our Lord. We have a greater message than give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He calls us citizens. He calls us family. He calls us His household. So we can say, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Can you say that? If you can't say that, we pray that God's grace will shower upon you. That you will contemplate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you too can come to faith. I am a Christian. Say it with me. I am a Christian. Now go and live like Christians this week for Christ's glory. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank You that You are our all in all.
that you have killed the hostility between us and God and us and man. You have made us citizens. You have made us a new humanity and you have made us part of your family that we can come and gather together in your house and be who we are in Christ with no masks, with no fear. That we can receive love and give love. Would you help us to do that this week? In Jesus' name, amen.